Hello, and welcome to this episode of the ECP Viewpoints podcast. I'm Dr. Jennifer Palambi, and I'm the Senior Manager of Professional Education and Development here at Cooper Vision. And it is my privilege today to have Dr. Pam Lowe and Dr. Melanie Fergozo joining me for a conversation on advocacy in eye care. So we could not have two better guests uh, to chat through the topic of advocacy. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yes. So I'm excited for us to dive into this. I thought probably the best place for us to start would be just to talk a little bit about your own histories in practice and with advocacy and where that passion then came from for both of you for advocating for our profession. So Pam, could I start with you on that? Certainly. Uh, my history is my began with my graduation from optometry school in 1988 here at ICO in Chicago. And when I graduated, Illinois had just gotten the right to use diagnostic, topical diagnostics. And um, it was interesting because um, I'll never forget, you know, we were used to seeing patients in clinic and dilating every patient. And then when I came out as an associate in private practice, um, I found out that if I dilated a pseudofake, um, I had to get permission from an ophthalmologist. So we had the right to dilate, but on certain patients we couldn't. Um, and so in 1992, four years after being an associate, um, I actually went out and opened my own practice. And I had bought a practice from a doctor that had slowed down and was retiring. So obviously buying this practice, I was really in a growth mode. And realize that, you know, being able to practice to a higher level was so key for my practice growth. And that's when I got involved in advocacy at a higher level. Um, I became very active in the Illinois Optometric Association and then was, you know, in the trenches fighting for uh, therapeutic topicals and then eventually oral therapeutics. And proud to say now in Illinois, uh, we do have um, a very wide scope. Uh, that was very hard fought for, but we're still uh, looking to get injectables and then eventually hopefully move on to lasers like a lot of our colleagues. That's fantastic because to your point, it does make such a difference, um, you know, in the in the scope of our business, but also just to be able to practice to our full potential and everything that we are capable of and spend all those years learning. And I can only imagine then coming out and going, oh, except you can't in this case. So, I mean, what a huge thing that has, not only on the individual, but the entire profession. So Melanie, I know when we chatted this, you came into the profession from a completely different perspective because a lot of that groundwork had been, had been put in place by the time you graduated and began practicing. Tell us a little bit about your perspective on that. Yes. So I graduated 20 years later than Pam in 2008 from the University of Houston College of Optometry. And, um, you know, very fortunate to graduate at that time. Um, we had the silver, uh, my generation had the silver spoon already in their hand, um, ready to practice full scope um, therapeutics, especially where I was practicing when I first graduated in um, Kansas City, Missouri in a commercial practice um, and um, very um, able to do to do everything therapeutically. Um, for three years, I practiced in um, Kansas City in a commercial setting, but I wanted more. Um, to, I wanted to learn more about cornea and contact lenses, so I decided to go back for residency to uh, back to University of Houston, um, and I completed a one-year residency in cornea and contact lenses. Afterwards, I worked in the hospital for a short time. Um, and then I came back to Texas where I opened my own private practice. 
And, um, you know, I, I agree um, with what both of y'all are saying is that when, when you do, when you're in your own private practice, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to practice full scope and, and have, you know, your other co colleagues recognize this, especially, you know, our, our, our colleagues that we work together with ophthalmologists, because they appreciate, you know, being able to take you to be able to take care of your, your, their patients and for them to do what they're specialized at and what we are able to do to our fullest potential. Um, so I'm really fortunate to be um, in, in the practice mode that I'm in right now and in an environment where um, it's supported. And, and here in Texas, um, we, we're, we're, we're working on lasers. All of the surrounding states are, are, are have it and we're hoping to get it soon. Um, so I'm in a I'm really good position and I'm fortunate. And um, the reason I got, um, you know, interested in advocacy was for self-improvement. You know, there's all sorts of types of advocacy, but for me, it was self-improvement and improvement of my colleagues. Um, so um, that's where I became interested. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, Melanie, you bring up a good point. And another thing that we had the opportunity to talk about, all three of us recently, and that is, you know, as we've discussed this so far, it's been very much you know, there's, there's scope of practice issues. There's, you know, things that we need to be right there at the state house or Capitol Hill or where have, where have you um, advocating for our profession, but advocacy can take on so many different definitions and we can advocate in so many different ways. So, you know, Pam, I think it was you that said when we were talking, you know, it doesn't always have to even take place outside of the office. You, I, share your perspective on that. I just thought it was so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. To me, every patient in the chair is an opportunity for advocacy. Um, you know, over the years, as the, our practice has grown and our patients, um, you know, patient base has grown, and we found the reason that was because we really took the time to educate our patients, not only about their eyes and their ocular health and their overall health, but really about the importance of timely care. And when we do that, it empowers me as their doctor and it empowers them as the patient to do a better job for every patient in that chair. So to me, advocacy begins with each patient encounter. And if I could do a good job of advocating to the patient for the need for timely eye care, for their long-term vision and overall health, uh, you know, that's a big win. And when a patient feels like they're heard, and um, they understand the importance of timely eye care, they're then advocates. They become advocates and go out and talk about um, their experiences and, and why um, having routine eye exams are so important for themselves, their family, and their friends. So I really believe that it actually starts locally and, and, and locally right in your office in the chair with each patient. Absolutely. And and Melanie, I remember you weighing in too. In fact, I, I wrote it down. It says sometimes advocacy just starts with being a good role model, yeah. you know, um, and that is for our patients and our communities. Can you, did you want to expand upon that? I won't speak for you. I just, I loved that quote. I wrote it down the first time I heard you say it. <laughs> for some of my patients who are more mature, they were really surprised um, when I saw them. They're like, wow, I didn't know that optometrists can do so much. You know, I didn't, I'm, I was, you know, I thought I had to go to, um, you know, my ophthalmologist to be able to get, you know, therapeutics. And so I'm so surprised that you're, you're able to offer this level of care. And it's so great because um, you're just down the street and you are accessible. Um, so, you know, I do think that it, it, it starts with, you know, just being the best practitioner you possibly can in your own chair. I, I truly believe that. 
And then also, you know, setting an example for, for your colleagues as well is, you know, um, practicing to um, the highest level and, and attending, you know, CE to, to, to keep that level of, of expertise up. Um, so I think that's really important. That, that is a form of advocacy. It is. Absolutely. And, and having these relationships and having this habit, if you will, of advocacy in place, be it on a small scale in the exam room or out there participating in, in broader legislative activities, especially when we talk about those relationships that are established with the broader legislative activities. You know, Pam, you brought up a great point, and that is we learned a whole lot during COVID, didn't we, about the value of already being out there and having a voice. And I know that, that you've seen that, especially in Illinois, with some changes that came because of COVID, hopefully for the better long term. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, you know, you always like to look for the silver linings and there's nothing uh, more than pushes you into looking for silver linings than a uh, global pandemic, right? Because that, it's, a, it's a big bummer on many levels. Uh, but what we found with our, our patients and having to pivot to urgent care only, Illinois never granted us the opportunity to do telehealth visits. And quite frankly, telehealth, when I would think of that topic in the eye care arena, I always thought about disruptors and, you know, these online eye exam folks who, who, who want to, um, you know, grab patients and obviously online to, you cannot do a comprehensive eye exam, uh, but, you know, there's entities out there that, that uh, market to patients for that. So it kind of, telehealth was kind of a, a, a a touchy subject to say the least, but then the global pandemic, having to see patients urgent care only, and then some patients who were high risk couldn't even come into the office for urgent care. It was so awesome that we were granted the right to pivot to telehealth. And now I found a great benefit in keeping telehealth, um, not just through that time when we could do urgent care only, but as we came out of the pandemic and continue to still come out of the pandemic, it's really great, especially for some of my seniors who may have just, you know, lid issues. Um, they're non-contact lens wearers, so I don't have to worry about seeing the cornea um, in a more magnified way. Um, it's so nice to be able to connect with patients like that. And even patients who can come in the practice and, and you diagnose them and you may start a treatment plan, it's really nice that I could follow up with a telehealth visit. Um, and that that makes it you know so much easier for um, all the challenges we have during this pandemic of moving patients efficiently and safely through the office. It's nice to have a sector of patients that don't even need to come in, and we can take you know as good of care as we always do of them. And it really kept us connected to our patients. You know, again, my practice is going to be thirty years old, and so we have a lot of of patients that and families that, you know, have grown with us. And so it was nice to still be connected when it was difficult to be connected. Absolutely. And in a scenario like that, where you have to pivot so quickly and solve for that so quickly to have already had those relationships and that voice and that presence in the advocacy space, I'm sure was invaluable in, in getting, getting the profession in Illinois to a good place quickly. What about you, Melanie? What kind of changes did you notice through the pandemic or just in recent, you know, recent months and years that that you feel, gosh, you know, without advocacy, where would we be? Yeah. So we were lucky in, in Texas is that we were allowed, uh, we were considered uh, essential workers. So we were allowed to stay open the whole entire time. 
And uh, my practice did, and we saw uh, urgent care patients, and then also my patients who um, were, were medically necessary for their contacts and they needed to be able to see to upkeep their quality of life and jobs. So we were really lucky in that respect in Texas. And, and I'm very glad that um, you know our, our, our um, advocacy hand in, in our state allowed us to be able to do that. Um, but you know, it's interesting, advocacy here in, in my personal practice, how it occurred was advocating to be able to, to tell my patients that it was safe to wear contact lenses. Um, so there was, um, you know, some some press that uh, during the time when COVID started, that contact lenses may not be safe, um, which isn't true. And so I had to advocate um, to my patients that it was safe to wear contact lenses. Um, it, it's better um, for their quality of life because they see better. And we were going to keep them safe in them um, by uh, educating them about how to clean them properly and, then, and, and being able to see them um, to be able to make sure that they were wearing their lenses safely. So that's how advocacy occurred um, during COVID and still is in, in, in my practice. Yeah, it's a great example of you can advocate without ever leaving the office, for sure. Advocacy that I think we were all undertaking at that time, whether we thought of it as advocacy or not. Um, absolutely. And and Pam, you brought up another interesting point the first time we chatted this, and that was um, how instrumental the AOA was in helping with our with our advocacy nationwide, getting us on the stimulus package, that inclusion for the frontline workers. I believe you were actively involved in some of that, weren't you? Yeah, you know, um, at the time of the pandemic, I was the current chair of the contact lens cornea section. So Melanie couldn't have said it better. There were so uh, many instances of misinformation from ophthalmology and sometimes even from optometry uh, that it was so important that we set the record straight, um, that contact lens wear, you know, was not a form of transmission. And as long as you were doing the right practices and taking care of your contact lenses and didn't feel ill, it was perfectly safe um, to take care of, of, of um, you know, giving yourself that visual freedom and the quality of life. And to Melanie's point, um, especially she has, a, you know, her, her patients are, are a lot of specialty fits and they actually need that, those contacts to function. Otherwise they visually can't do their jobs or drive and things like that. Uh, so, that there was that piece for patient advocacy, but then for practice advocacy, because, you know, my goal was I had 12 employees. And when we were shut down to urgent care only, I was like, yikes, how do I keep these guys gainfully employed and off unemployment? Because to me, that was the biggest nightmare if I had to have them uh, go on unemployment. So AOA uh, you know, advocating for us with the PPP program, making sure we were seen as in parity with other healthcare professionals. That was just so important. The thing that I guess I want to make sure that we leave for our listeners today is where to start, because maybe everyone isn't comfortable with being the one sitting across the desk from the legislators and so forth. But there's so many ways, regardless of what your personal interests are or or what have you to support advocacy efforts for the entire profession and to be involved in one way or another. Um, so for, I'm going to, I'm going to pose this question to each of you. Um, Melanie, I'll start with you. You know, if you have, a, what's your one piece of advice for those listening today? Hey, if you want to get started today, try this, or where would you, where would you point someone? Sure. So uh, again, stress advocacy starts in the chairs is being the best um, professional that you can and offering the highest level of care. 
um, you know, for for my um, my generation, millennials, um, I think, you know, it's easy to take things for granted because we're given everything. Um, so, you know, being if, if you're able, again, to upkeep your seat, uh, consider um, supporting or potentially joining um, and getting um joining, you know, things like the AOA or uh, becoming board board certified to help upkeep your skills. Um, So, you know, I think everything starts with, you know, in the chair and then um, and and upkeeping uh, so that we are able to say, hey, we are able to do this and keep it and then even gain more skills. Absolutely. And, and Pam, I liked your perspective on this too. And that is, you know, just as we would refer to other optometrists who may be engaged in a, in a, you know, a branch of optometry that we don't do, maybe myopia management, something it's the same kind of thing in that, Hey, that's a support of your peers. So supporting these organizations financially or any other way is that same principle. Let's support each other and, you know, and make a difference regardless and so supporting organizations like the AOA, right, and others, what would your advice be? Yeah, absolutely. And Melanie couldn't have said it better. It all starts with you educating yourself and keeping very current. Um, and then, again, taking that in the chair. Um, but I think it's really important to also take your advocacy to the community. And AOA gives you many opportunities to do that. And AOA is always there to help us connect in our local communities. I know they were instrumental in helping me initially find out who my key people and my local legislators were. And that morphed into uh, being a key person for my national um, congresswoman and senator. And it's not hard to get involved. And if you're an AOA member, they actually make it super easy because um, they can give you links. Once they know your district, they can give you links. And when we have issues that come up, it literally takes less than five minutes to advocate from your office to your legislators um, and just say, look, optometry needs X, Y, or Z, whatever we're working on. And and then those legislators get to know you. And it, there's a lot of power in being in a legislator's district and holding that card of a vote that comes up every two to four years, depending on what office they're seated in. So AOA, I, I can't say enough. And you know, it's it's sad on one standpoint for me that we sh- to me we should have 100% of optometrists practicing should be members of their association, and I know it's hard to get to 100% of anything, but um, because all all boats rides with the tide, right? And so when we're all working hard and advocating, um, if for those who can, at least it's important to be a member and just join and stay connected. Absolutely. And AOA has partnered also with industry for within the Healthcare Alliance for Patient Safety, um, of which Cooper Vision is a founding member, I'm proud to say. Um, and, and so for those of you listening today, if you want to follow the activities of the health of the Healthcare Alliance for Patient Safety, referred to often as the APS, um, that website is patientsafetytoday.com. And, and so you can tune in there and there's all kinds of information about the work that the APS is actively doing at any given time and opportunities to support that work as well. Um, so thank you both so much for joining today and for kind of chatting through this with us. Um, any parting thoughts that you had on this? I know we talked some about how easy it is even to report complications 
now um, and, and all of the different ways that we can just make sure that we're keeping even contact lenses at the forefront and that, you know, these are medical, federally regulated medical devices. And there's so much to be mindful of in terms of, of safeguarding our patients through advocacy. So I'll take anyone's closing thoughts on that, that final little thought starter there, and then we can wrap up our conversation for today. Yeah, I would just have to say, um, you know, get involved. First of all, use your AOA membership. If you're not a member, please join. And AOA is just great at helping you get connected and knowing what steps, be it small or larger, to get involved in advocacy. Absolutely. And Melanie? I agree. Getting involved, you know, um, if at all possible, of course, AOA. Um, but even joining your your local organization, your your county organization, and and giving feedback to the people who are are help are, are are helping, you know, with with advocacy. Um, but you know, if if at all possible, definitely give back um, to the to the AOA. Terrific. Thank you both so much. And again, for our listeners, if you have any questions, either for me or for Dr. Lowe or for Dr. Fergozo, you can certainly send them to professionalaffairs at coopervision.com, or I think all three of us are fairly easily sought out on LinkedIn and other platforms if anyone has any questions for us. Um, for our part at Coopervision, Dr. Michelle Andrews, who's the Vice President of Professional and Government Affairs for the Americas, uh, is very active in the legislative space on behalf of Coopervision, and she can be reached at drandrews at coopervision.com, so drandrews at coopervision.com. So I think that I can speak for all of us when I say that we are happy to answer questions or talk through options and opportunities at any time with anyone listening to this podcast that wants to think maybe a little bit more about an active role in the advocacy space. So again, thank you, Pam. Thank you, Melanie. I always enjoy chatting with you, especially when it's a topic that I think we all feel equally passionate about. So thanks again for joining us today. And I look forward to our next chance to chat. Thank Absolutely. You. Take care, ladies. <laughs> Thanks. You too. Bye.